0: You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church and Pastor Paul Chapel. This Ministry 127 Podcast is about leading others to God's agenda for their lives with Dr. Mark Rasmussen. Dr. Rasmussen has been involved in Christian college work for over 30 years, and he currently teaches full-time at West Coast Baptist College while serving as its vice president. The title is Leading Others to God's Agenda for Their Lives. You might underline that at the top because it's very important to understand that we want is people to find God's agenda, not our agenda. Genesis 24, verse 27, Eliezer said this beautiful thought. He said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And we want God to lead people. We do not want it to be our leading uh, in their life, but rather God's leading. But I do believe that God places us in the paths of other people to be a help and a guide and encouragement. Um, there's no question <laughs> about that. Uh, we're there to exert influence. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Uh, it's, it's very important that we're around the right people. I've said for several decades that you will be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for the books you read, the people you're around, and the things you watch and listen to. These are shapers of our character. So if these are the shapers, we not only have an opportunity, I believe we have a responsibility there. And the people that God places under us, um, I often say when I sign a certain book that I was involved with, I say, may God bless you as you teach and train those that God has entrusted to your watch care. I, I, but I've signed that Probably a thousand or two thousand times. Because God does entrust people to our watch care. And they're sent to us, and I believe God has put them there so that we can have an impact on their lives. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence, at thy right hand, are pleasures forevermore. We want people to have a walk with God. People have said to me, I'm in my, starting my 32nd year as a college professor, they say, what are your goals or what are you trying to accomplish? And I speak at a lot of educators' conferences, and I say this, I have three simple goals. Walk with God, soul consciousness, and the third one's going to sound really arcane. I said, and the, the financial principle, if you don't have it, don't spend it. I said, those are, I just, I happen to know if they walk with God, if they're going to live right, that'll keep the ministry. If they don't get themselves in financial trouble, that'll keep the ministry. And then... Most people are not soul conscious, so that will help them be, do what we're supposed to be doing in ministry. So those are my three simple goals as far as a college professor. Yes, we want to teach them facts. I want to teach them the Word of God. I want to teach them educational principles. I want to teach them principles about being in ministry, but there's some key things there. The Bible says in Jeremiah 24-7, and I will give them an heart to know me. I will give them an heart to know me. And I don't know if that's in your notes there. Is that verse there? So you might want to write that down. Jeremiah 24-7. Ladies and gentlemen, what a phenomenal challenge to help people to have a heart to know God. It's amazing how much young teenagers know about LeBron James right now. I have a heart for pastor's kids. I am a preacher's kid. I started a newsletter for your preacher and you have teenagers in your home. I have a newsletter that's free. I put it out four times a year called Today's PK. I send it out to about 1,000 preacher's kids. Pastor Chapel, I write the key article, the head article. Then I have a staff member who's a PK write an article. Then I have a student who's a PK write an article. And I have a place in my heart for them. And when I get to, uh, when I'm out preaching, as I have been the last six weeks, I often will try to reach out to the preacher's kids and buy them an ice cream, or do some, some small thing for them. But I always find out what they're interested in. And I'm thinking of a young man right now, uh, his first name is Jordan, that's all I'll say, but he's a fine young boy. And I found out the love of his life is skateboarding. Well, I know the name of one skateboarder, you know. I do know they're called trucks and wheels on the bottom. That's about the extent of it. You say, do you skateboard? Do I look like I skateboard? Come on now. All right. <laughs> But I wanted to reach out to him, and so I have sent him a magazine on skateboarding. I sent him a book. I've written him several times since I was in his church. And I have told him, I said, you know, if he's spending seven or eight hours a day on skateboarding. I said, that's not going to matter when it's all said and done. I said, it could be your hobby. You might want to spend an hour on it. But I said, you might be able to use that in the parks evangelism. I said, you're not going to be great. You're not going to do this for avocation or occupation. I said, why don't you do some things that will count? I'm trying to guide him towards God's agenda. His agenda is skateboarding. That's his agenda. By the way, you want to know what people's agenda is? Where's is their time? Where's their money being spent? Uh, you can tell where someone's agenda is by looking through their checkbook. If you could check the register for a year, you know where their agenda was. Uh, if you could look at their time planner and really know where their time goes, you would know what their agenda is. Have you ever met anyone whose agenda was hunting? I have. Have you ever met anyone whose agenda was golfing or fishing or major league sport? Right? And there's nothing wrong with any of those in the right proportion in our life. And uh, that's an interesting thought there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. This session, I believe, will give you some practical precepts on finding and doing the will of God. And I like to break that down, finding and doing it. By the way, where do we find the will of God? I believe it's right here. Amen. I believe this book has all the answers. And I thought I was doing fairly well trying to read my Bible through twice this year. Until I found out, Brother has reading his through four times, and I found out that I had no longer killed the fat and calf. Okay, so, but this has the answers, and we must get people to inculcate Scripture into their life. Uh, the interest of thy words giveth light. Wherewithal withal, young young man, man cleanse away by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. Uh, by the way, let me say this. The answers are Bible. Since we don't know what the questions are, we better learn a lot of Bible so we'll have a lot of answers. Yeah, right. Right. Um, very, very important principle, in my opinion. So, number one, we need to help people know that God's way is best. We need to help people know that God's way is best. Have you heard the little adage before, good, better, best? Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is your best. I'll just tell you, friends, God's way is best. Here's a little thought you might want to write down there. I don't know if I have this in my notes or not. I wrote this lecture back in, like, February. But as I was thinking and and going over this even this morning, God's way, you always say, I'm glad I did. Not saying, I wish I had. You know, I'm always glad after I've gone soul winning. I'm always glad after I've read read the Bible. Um, Let me add one little thought here that may help you as you try to incorporate truth in those, whether it's your children or those you're teaching. Uh, the principle of first things is very important. If you know the Bible, you know there is a principle in studying the Bible called the principle of first mention. All right? You see when something was mentioned for the first time in the Scripture. Listen carefully. The principle of first things will help us make the right decision. What's in first place in our life? Um, Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then what? All these things we got to do. First things first. That's why I think young people ought to go to Bible college first for at least a year. I think it's almost always there. Well, I'm going to stay, stay out and save for a year. I'll go to junior college for a year. Well, the Bible says sit out to see the scornful, learn not the way of the heathen, don't walk with the unwise, don't go to junior college for a year. First things first. And by the way, I do not think everyone should go into full-time Christian work. I do think that God wants us all to be full-time Christians, though. Amen. Would you agree with that? Amen. Most people are not called to full-time Christian work but they are called to be full-time Christians. So help them know God's way is best. The puzzle of life will never be put together without the direction that only God can give. Uh, The pieces don't just fall in place. There must be order and design. And God has given a blueprint. And when we follow his blueprint, there are no regrets. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it is always the right way. And we must help people to understand that. The world's a kind of spiritual kindergarten where bewildered infants are trying to spell God with the wrong blocks. Whether it's what the world is trying to seek for peace and happiness, whether it's an alcohol, cybernetic approach for pleasure, materialism, and yet what God tells us to do is to live with eternity's values and views, to lay it for ourselves treasures in heaven, or moth and dust don't corrupt, or thieves don't break it and steal. And so we have to realign their thinking. Letter A, you need to know God's will because only God knows the future. You need to know God's will because only God knows the future. I'm 53 years of age. I'm keenly aware of the fact that I don't know how long I'm going to have. I travel about 100 days a year. I fly a lot. I travel a lot. It's interesting. You know, I don't know if someone will make the wrong term. I, I passed a truck on I-75 that went off the road and had a horrible accident just the other day. I don't know how but she was ahead of us, but I mean, he talked about tearing up guardrail. It was just a humongous mess. I want to redeem the time. Well, I can redeem the time. My mom was one of the best Christians I ever knew. Never smoked, never drank, kissed one man her entire life, never went in the theater. She died in her 50s of cancer. We don't know how long we're going to have. So let's redeem the time today. Let's redeem the time today. And uh, not everyone lived to be 80 like George Steinbrenner did when he passed away yesterday. Um, Whereas you know not what will be on the mark, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. Number two, help them know they can understand God's will. Help them know they can understand God's will. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed himself. Let me repeat that. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, 2 Timothy is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Probably if I had to pick five, it would be in that group, along with Nehemiah, Psalms, and Proverbs. I just, one of my favorite books. But 2 Timothy is a great challenge in how to live. And uh, it's a great directional book, if you will. It says in Second Timothy 1.9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So God has a purpose for us. He has a plan for us that we need to be aware of. So letter A, the will of God defined. The will of God defined. God has certain desires in his heart for you and for me and for those that God entrusts to our watch care. We need to help people seek out God's will. Um, I often pray, there's certain things I pray for every day. Uh, I pray every day for wisdom. The Bible says there's four ways to get wisdom. One of the ways is to ask for it. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally liberty and it breatheth not. You get wisdom through the scriptures. You get wisdom with wise people, and you get wisdom through the proofs of life. Um, I pray for wisdom. I pray for patience. I pray for purity. But I also pray for direction. I love the verse, I be in the way the Lord led me. The arm of flesh will fail you, but the Bible says his arm fails not. He never makes a mistake. I have GPSs that are wrong. I was in West Virginia about two weeks ago, and we were up in what they call a holler, okay? And I was lost. I was looking for Messiah Baptist Church, or building the, the church, and a uh, slight, slight t- tweaking the story. I got up there, and the guy said, literally said, what are you doing in the holler? Well, we'd gone off the road to the dirt, to the gravel, to yeah. we're up there to the last double wide of the road, you know. And uh, the man greeted me, and he had at least three teeth. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was an interesting situation. By the way, yes, we gave a track. But, um, he, he, by the way, he write right where the church was, praise the Lord. Invited him to service, told him to come, I'd give him a CD, he didn't show up. But God has a will for people's lives. It is defined, by the way. Samuel Clemens said this. He said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. I know God wants me to be thankful and everything, give thanks for this will of God. I know that God wants me to be kind, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. I know that God wants me to be so conscious, go ye therefore. I, I know most of the things I'm supposed to do. I just finished reading the Bible through for the first time last month in June, and I, I don't claim to understand, even though I've taught in Bible colleges for 30 years, all of Revelation. I do, I was challenged by reading for the first time where I really noticed it where it says his name is the word of God. That was a blessing. But I don't claim to understand all that. I start Leviticus tomorrow. Feasts and offerings, feasts and offerings, feasts and offerings. You know? People say, why do you read that? It's there. It's part of the Bible. You know I've never preached a sermon from Leviticus. I have no plan for it in the near future. You know. But let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. God's given me plenty of things that I know I ought to be working on. Yes sir. I'm supposed to love my wife the way Christ loves the church, a total sacrificial giving love. I do a lot of couples treats. God's given us a formula for the home. Wives submit, husbands love, children's, children obey. It's God's plan. People say, well, I don't really like that. I often say this, I don't write it, I just recite it. You know, It's what the Word of God says. It's what God wants us to do. So the will of God defines, secondly, God's will and God's Word. God's will and God's Word. These two are inseparable I believe that God's will for your life is already revealed in the Bible. That's why we must get people into the Bible. That's why we must, have the, we must teach them the Bible, and that's why they need to hear the preaching of the Bible. I believe that with all my heart. God's will and God's word are inseparable. Number one, we see the direct commands. The direct commands. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonish of the Lord. And be ye not drunk with wine, where in excess, excess, would be ye filled with the Spirit. We've heard a little bit about that this week, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. These are things that we know God wants us to do. Will we obey the Word of God? There's four ways to find God's will, according to A.W. Tozer, who's uh, an author I enjoy reading. Uh, some of his little short statements, pithy statements are very convicting. Tozer said this, On the surface it might appear more spiritual to seek God's leading than to just go ahead and do the obvious thing. But it isn't. If God gives you a watch, are you honoring him more by asking him what time it is or by simply consulting the watch? I like that. Let's look and see what the watch says. If God gives a sailor a compass, does the sailor please God more by kneeling in a frenzy of prayer to persuade God to show which way to go or should he just go ahead according to the compass? God's given us a compass. Except for those things that are specifically commanded or forbidden in the scriptures, it is God's will that we be free to exercise our own intelligent choice. In almost everything that touches our everyday life on earth, God is pleased when we're pleased. His will that we be as free as birds to soar and sing our maker's praise without anxiety. God's choice for us may not be only one, but rather any one of a score of possible choices. The man or woman who is wholly and joyously surrendered to Christ will make the right choice. It's a matter of surrendering our will. If you will, taking our hands off the steering wheel of our life. I often say this. I know the man meant well who coined this phrase, God is my co-pilot, but it was an egregious error. Yeah. God does not seek to be a co-pilot. Yes, sir. Amen. He's the king of kings, Amen. the omnipotent, omniscient God. I stopped by the Creation Museum in Cincinnati last Thursday, I believe it was. Never been there before. and um, Not a lot that was new to me except for the planetarium. And They were talking about the size of the universe. And it was awe-inspiring. I bought, the, I bought the video. I'm going to show up my Genesis class. But I would have changed one thing in the video. I would have had one verse at the end. Because the Bible says that God's hand spans the universe. Yeah. Is that not an awesome thought? And I had no idea how big the universe was. In fact, I know I still can't comprehend it. They were going through the light years and all this kind of stuff. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And God's hand spans it. I think we ought to listen to him. Hello, I think we ought to yeah. obey him. You know, I think that makes sense to me. What happens when we have to make a decision that God has provided a no, yes, whatever, maybe to? Well, I might want to write this reference down. Psalm 32, verse number 8. I've found this helpful. I've shared this with many people. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou should go. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou should go. God will show us. I'll throw a little thought out. I was talking to a pastor yesterday. who was praying about leaving, moving ministries from one ministry to another. And I was asking him something. He asked me to pray for him. And I said I would. I preached for him early this year, man in the Midwest somewhere. And I said, well, it's not something you sought yourself. God's opened a door. I, I talked about Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's a good verse, by the way. Um, and we started talking, but I said, well, one thing I know, Bob Jones Sr. years ago said something that was very prescient. He said this. When God puts you in a room to serve, if you will, to paint the room, he said, wait till God opens the door. Don't jump out a window or blast your way through the wall. Wait till you know God has opened a door. Now, uh, opportunity does not equal obligation. Right? Just because the door is open doesn't mean you have to go through it. But make sure it's an open door, not that we're crawling through a window or busting through a wall. And as I promised that pastor, I'd pray for him, his name down and and have been thinking about for the last day or two. I thought, you know, we're faced with decisions all the time. Let's just make sure we're seeking what God wants for us, not what we want. said, so why would you say that? I had a church in Hawaii call me like three weeks ago. They said I even need a candidate, but God's will settles. That. That's not where God's called me to be. And uh, I get beautiful Lancaster instead. All right, moving on here. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. He shall direct thy path. It's incredibly important to understand that God promises to give us direction. I thought this was an interesting quote. The only way to see far ahead of the will of God is just to go ahead just as far as you can see. Somebody fresh will say, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate. I, you're a freshman in college. I don't spend a lot of time in those counseling appointments. I said, I'll tell you exactly what you got to do to graduate. I said, first you graduate. I said, are you having your, I talked to a girl here on the campus. I just got back Saturday in town, and I walked up to her. I said, my brother led her to Christ. I said, you read your Bible every day? She said, no. I said, we need to get going that. I said, if you do it every day for the next 30 days, my wife and I will take you out for mail. Now, that's a long ways from who she marries, where she serves. If you will, baby steps. But that's what she needs to do right now. You start reading your Bible. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I believe that's the will of God for her. Walk in the way. When there's no magic, while there's no magic formula for knowing God's will, there's some basic prerequisites. Letter A is salvation. Letter A is salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9 said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that's God's will. I even like the word predestinate. It's found in Ephesians chapter one verse number five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. There is a raging argument going on in our country today dealing with Calvinism, and I run into it a lot of places where I'm at. And I, heard, I had a man say to me recently, I thought it was pretty good. Why would I argue with people who don't understand what all means? <laughs> or whosoever. And I know there's been some great Christians who've been Calvinists. Spurgeon being one of them. Um, But I think it often is a tool to get people to disobey God. Because people who are staunch Calvinists usually, usually are not real evangelistic. And there have been a few exceptions. uh, But uh, just a thought on that. First of all, salvation. Letter B, once we get saved, you know what God's looking for next? Surrender. Now, that's obedience, but surrender. It's impossible for us to see further into God's will unless we're willing to obey the will which we've already seen. Obey what God's told us to do. Remember Clement's statement. It's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bother me. I know God wants me to be kind to my wife. I'm supposed to love her the way Christ loves the church. Like most of us have been here, my wife's better than I deserve. Um, An amazing thing, our daughter, who just got married in December, was expecting... Uh, my wife was talking to her one day, and I was really stunned. She was telling Elisa, she, she was talking to her about submission. And she said to Elisa, I kid you not with my hand the Word of God, this surprised me. She says, you know, I don't agree with Dad and everything. I was really surprised to find that out. <laughs> I, I said, I really, I actually asked her what for. She, actually, she's a little bit stricter than I am in a few areas. And uh, I was stunned. But she said to Lisa, she said, if dad's wrong and I submit to him, he's the one who's accountable for the family. We're married 29 years and we find out there's something she didn't agree with. She grew up camp meeting, Bible Belt. I grew up in Southern California. Hey, <laughs> Both grew up in preacher's homes. But I was surprised to find that out. She knows her will is to submit. God's will for her to submit. It's God's will for her life. Are you willing to surrender I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is my ordination Bible. I've had this for about 25 years. I just started getting signatures, but I've had one signature on it for 20 years. Lee Robertson, right there. I I picked 20 names. In fact, two of them are here at this conference that I asked to sign it. Uh, Dr. Sam Davison and Dr. Bobby Robertson. I just started getting some. I've got Dr. Sisk in here, Dr. Rick Martin, the Philippines, Dr. Gibbs, Tom Farrell. And I want to give this to my son someday. And I'm thinking ahead that someday this, this might be his preaching Bible. I've had it recovered. I've had it resown twice. And uh, it's the one. I never check this one. I carry this on the plate with me. I would never check it. And uh, the other night it disappeared. And I just I don't lose my Bible. And uh, I was kind of panicking because, for one thing, I have probably 500 outlines in here. And, uh, and it's my ordination Bible, and it just means a lot to me. And then I checked the lost and found I went to the auditorium, but I just don't lose my Bible. Well, I had taken Brother Ogawa back to his hotel, and he took my Bible with him. You have to watch those Japanese. And uh, <laughs> it was Pearl Harbor all over again, you know. And, and I was going through, and I finally said, I know I took it out of church. I know I put it in the car. And I, I called Mrs. Sis, because obviously he speaks Japanese. I, I couldn't talk to him. And uh, he bowed to me many times the next day. Oh, so sorry. You know. <laughs> oh, I said I was ready to come after you. But, um, <laughs> friends, let me say this it's great to have a Bible. But did you read it this morning before you came over here? I'll go back to that principle first things. I've got some rules no Bible, no breakfast. I subscribe to three newspapers, and I have two email accounts. No Bible, no newspaper. First things first. First things first. No Bible, no phone calls. First things first. I believe this is what God wants us to do. We need to surrender to His will. A living sacrifice is our reasonable service. I read about a man named Bruce Larson who was helping people who were struggling to surrender their lives to Christ. He told the story about how in New York City, by the RCA building, I've actually seen this statue. There's a giant statue of Atlas, and he's holding the world up on his shoulders, perfectly proportioned. He's got the whole weight there. One man said, now that's one way to live, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. Then a man took him across the street to the very famous St. Patrick's Cathedral, not a place where I've ever attended regularly. I just want to point that out in case you wondered. And someone went in there, there was a statue inside the church there. There was a little shrine. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of seven or eight. And with no effort, unlike Atlas with every muscle of sinuous straining, he's holding the entire world in his hand. And if we can convince those that we're working with to stop trying to carry the weight of this world and to give it to Jesus Christ, (laughs) take your burdens to the Lord, I'll leave them there. The great allegorical novel written hundreds of years ago, I've actually been to John Bunyan's grave at Bunhill Field over in England, right across the street from Busty's Chapel. He's buried there. Susanna Wesley, Charles Wesley, Isaac Watts. It's the non-conformist graveyard. I actually went into a graveyard about two weeks ago. I saw Jonathan Edwards' grave. It's right across from Princeton Seminary. And B.B. Uh, B- Warfield's buried there. And uh, Grover, Cleveland, Grover Cleveland, one of our presidents, is buried there. But I want to, to see Edward's grave uh, there in New Jersey, right across from Princeton. But I wonder, are we trying to carry all the weight? People are so worried about all these things, and what we need to say is give it to the Lord. Yes. Yep. Give it to Him. Bunyan said this. He said the problem with Pilgrim was he was not willing to relinquish his burdens. And when he finally released the burdens, they rolled and ended at the foot of the cross. It was all taken care of. When I talk about helping people find God's will in this type of situation, I'm reminded of the story about the young man who was hitchhiking and carrying his big haversack for the military, and finally a truck pulled over and said, hop in. And the boy got up in there, he struggled, he pulled the haversack, put it up in his lap, and said, son, put it in the back, man, put it in the back. He said, I can't ask you to do that, too. And sometimes we ask Jesus to save us, but we don't want to ask him to take our burdens from us and take the weight off of our shoulders. Brother John's a good friend of mine. John's a graduate of MIT. His wife teaches here in our college. Prayed for you this morning, John. John flies the F-22, F-22. And tomorrow he's got to take a, a sorry, th- yeah, tomorrow, Thursday. Yeah. He's taking a flight. He's flying a special jet that the last time they flew it crashed. The pilot died. Now you squadron commander, Sotero? Sure. He's a squadron commander that at Edwards Air Force Base. I can't help him. His wife asked me to pray for him. She's a good friend. I did. I have. But you know what? God can help him. I believe he'll come through it fine. Uh, I trust the Lord. But are we really getting across the message of trusting the Lord? Let's not carry it. Letter C, separation. Separation. It's an interesting thing that the Bible says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Let me repeat that. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We live in a world, well, the Bible says in the last days, perilous times will wax worse and worse. I served at two colleges on the, on the other side of the Mississippi for 20 years. and I came back to California, where I grew up till the age of 18, I'd never moved back home after that time. I began to preach out here in California. I was amazed by the proliferation of casinos. Suddenly Indian land was everywhere near a freeway. (laughs) There are casinos everywhere. I just couldn't believe it. It's changed the state. By the way, how well is the state doing? We have all that free money now. Today our country is being cored out from the inside like there was a giant auger in the hands of a giant ape. And that auger, the auger of pornography, drugs, gambling, while America still looks like a giant sequoia redwood, it's being cored out from the inside. That's why we need to teach the people that are entrusted to us, touch not the unclean thing. I was talking to counseling somebody yesterday, and a tragic situation of the church where I preached it within the last year, and just Satan got in. Satan got in. Um, we need to help people to know we're supposed to walk holy. Sanctification. Letter D, the last one of on this, is sincerity. The Bible says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as a servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Pastor Chappell is a very good friend of mine. I love him very much. it has been the happiest 13 years of my ministry. And I've been in ministry now for starting my 32nd year. I want him to be pleased with my work, obviously. But you know what? I came to the conclusion a long time ago that ultimately I ought to be concerned with Christ being pleased with my work. Yes. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but doing the will of God from the heart. Sam, you work for a great man. I love, I love your pastor, Brother Wilkerson. I respect him greatly. He's, he's taught me things in my life. But you know what? If you really please God, he'll be pleased. He'll be pleased. Number three. Help them see that guidance is from God's will. Help them see that guidance is from God's will. Where is this from? I've got three things here under this very quickly, and I know I time. I've got about five minutes left. First of all, from the Bible. I've covered that enough, but just fill it in. The Bible. It's our guidebook. It's our map. I've taught U.S. history for 31 consecutive years. It's the last history class I still teach. And I usually start off in history talking about the Age of Exploration. We'll talk about Prince Henry of Portugal. We'll talk about Vasco da Gama, Cortes, and others. But what changed everything with the Age of Exploration circa 1400s was there were some new instruments. The compass, the quadrant, and the square. It changed everything. Now people knew where they were at. They knew the right direction to go. We have, if you will, a compass, a quadrant, and a square right here. Our GPS for life. The Bible. Number two, prayer. There's a book in our bookstore. It's called Prayer for Revival by Benny Beckham. And uh, let me tell you a little story about Benny Beckham. Benny Beckham was a pastor in the southeast somewhere, and he was the kind of guy who studied four hours a day, went soul winning every day, and really lived his life. And one day he found out his wife got cancer. He said it was like the Lord spoke to him and said, Benny, you've been doing all by yourself all these years. Take care of this by yourself. His wife died. And all of a sudden, he realized the importance of prayer. And the book, Prayer for Revival, ghosted under revival is the word survival. There's five things that are integral to the Christian life. We have to go to church. I don't think for one person here, it's hard to go to church. You're not an obedient Christian unless you tithe. Where do we rob the It tithes and offerings? I have a 17-year-old son. I make him give 20% of his income to the Lord, 10% tithe, 10% faith promise. By the way, he gives offerings above that to our building programs, things like that. And God's honor him for it. But I don't think anyone here probably has a problem with that. If you do, you're just a disobedient Christian. Thirdly, read the Bible. It's been my habit. My dad taught us to tithe. We're five years old. We got our allowance on Sunday morning in two stacks. It was always in change, I can promise you. Pastor's, pastor's family with seven kids. Um, but he said, here's your stack, here's God's stack. So, go to church, read your Bible, tithe. That's easy. But there's two other areas that are intrinsically important that I believe are like the work of the ministry is soul winning prayer. And for me, I'll be quite honest with you, they're both still work. Yeah. And I'm just being very transparent here today. Yeah. I believe that many of our shortcomings are because of prayer. I encourage you to read The In Bounds. Read Prayer Asking and Received by John o. Rice. Read the book by Becca. The book by Becca may be the best book of prayer I've ever read. And, uh, it, not published by Striving Together. I mean, it just, it's all his project, but it's a good book and it impacted me. And I like books that impact me. Number three, the work of the Holy Spirit. You're hearing a lot about that this week, so I'm not going to go over this again. But friends, do you know the Holy Spirit was given to us to guide us? Let me ask you a tough question today. When was the last time you said, Holy Spirit, please guide me today? I believe he is the forgotten member of the Trinity. Sometimes Catholics do more with the Holy Spirit than we do just by going like this. He wants to guide us in all truth. It's what God wants. Letter D, normal circumstances. As God has not left himself without witness, so he has not left us without guides to show us our way, said Matthew Henry, the great commentator. God allows things to happen. It says in Isaiah 30, verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. I, I, I use a little phrase. Let's teach young people, let's teach those that are entrusted to our watch care to obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. If we're saved, the Holy Spirit will tell us the way to go. How many times has He told me, witness that person? I've tried to make certain vows. I try to promise God every time. I've flown 1.2 million miles on American Airlines. Every time I get on a plane, I'll be on a plane tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. flying somewhere. When I get on a plane, I promise God I'm going to at least give a track to everyone I sit by. At least try. By the way, most of them take it often, they'll read it. Sometimes they'll say, what meanest this? <laughs> and like it says in the New Testament, some mocked, some will say, we will hear thee again, and some will repent. Number four, help them see the hope of happiness is in doing God's will. I believe with all my heart that happiness is finding God's will in doing it. Yeah. Friends, I did not move to Lancaster because it was such a beautiful area. I know that stuns you. I know that's stunning. I came here because I believe it was God's will for my life. And the will of God settles everything. Um, some things may not make sense, but what is the will of God? Either way, the will of God is delineated in the Word of God. Do you know that, I know this because I've been audited before. By the way, I've never, never had to pay any extra money, but I've been audited. And I know that the IRS says that ignorance is not an excuse. Because we did not know the law it does not make us non-culpable for obeying the law. God's word is very clear. You know, when the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, does that, ensue, does that infer to you that just maybe that we're going to have conflict in our life sometimes? Isn't it interesting that God says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers? There's going to be struggles. There's going to be problems. But God says there is a blessing on those who help bring about peace. Happiness is finding God's will and doing it. Time's almost done. Letter A, God wants us to be happy. By the way, it's very happy when you don't have regrets for making the wrong decisions. I'll never forget 1991 when the announcement came that Magic Johnson had AIDS. You know, I didn't worry about that at all. I'm 53. I've been with one woman my, my entire lifetime. don't have to worry about it. God's way is better. Amen. I've never tasted alcohol. My dad took us when we were little kids down to Sunset Strip to show us the drunks. Man, I'm looking out the window. Whoa, people laid in the gutter, vomit on themselves. I remember showing us pictures out of Life magazine back in the day of people who had had massive surgery on their faces from cigarette, tobacco, cancer. And I'll never see. I still remember this day. See the picture of someone smoking through a hole in their esophagus. Yeah. Uh, see the pictures of lungs that were healthy and red and and black and shriveled up like anthracite coal. You know, I have no regrets that I was never a smoker. By the way, I'll say this about God's will. Experience is not the best teacher. Experience is a hard teacher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Experience is not the best teacher. It's a hard teacher. I don't have to try cocaine to wonder whether or not I'd get addicted to it. I'm sure I would. So A, God wants us to be happy. Letter B, God's will does not have to be contrary to ours. God's will does not have to be contrary to ours. But when it is, we need to change our will. God's will does not have to be contrary to ours, but what it is, we need to change our will. God's will, ladies and gentlemen, is a wonderful thing to be involved in. (laughs) Let us see, living God's will is the only way to be truly successful. Living God's will is the only way to be truly successful. Shut your book for a second. Let me talk to you for two minutes. We'll let you go. I'm going to tell you a brief story. And if you can get this principle across to those that are entrusted to your watch care, it will make all the difference in their life. The story purports to be true. I can't document it. I've tried. But the principle is true, I promise you. And give me two minutes of your time. Listen carefully. There's a young boy, whose name was Tommy, who was a prodigious checkers player. This little boy, Tommy, lived in East Tennessee, and he was extraordinarily good. In fact, by the time he was 6 or 7, he was beating everyone up through high school. By the time he was in his pre-teen years, he was beating adults. By the time he was about 13, he was winning against adults 98% of the time. Nobody wanted to play him. People would come to town, they'd say, you like to play checkers? And he was sort of like a, you know, the pride of the village, the little town he lived in. He'd say, yeah, I like checkers. Hey, why don't you play Tommy. Tommy would beat him. One day, the word came from a neighboring town in Kentucky. There was an old man there. His name was Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith was really good, too. He was in his 80s. And they said, well, Mr. Smith's real good. We'll have Mr. Smith played Tommy. And they set up a day, several weeks in advance on a Saturday, and a caravan came winding down from the hills. and The crowd was so great, they couldn't do it inside the old country store where they usually did it. Instead, they went out on the porch and put the Rocky chairs up against by the pickle barrel, and Tommy had to sit up on a box to see over the, the board. Mr. Smith, you could tell he didn't use comb his hair. He tried to kind of slick down the white hair. It was kind of a little errant shock sticking up like le- wheat left in the field. His coveralls had washed so many times they were the palest shade of indigo. The old flannel shirt was almost as thin as tissue paper. His skin, as it is with the elderly, was almost translucent with age, but his eyes were still sharp. He slowly leveraged himself down the chair. He said, "Go ahead, Sonny." Tommy didn't like that. In the world's today's vernacular, he thought he'd been dissed. He kind of goes, "Huh." The game commenced. Tommy took a piece. A few minutes later, he took another piece. Then he took another piece. The old man took one piece, and Tommy looked, saw another, he took another piece, and he kind of, he was thinking, my sister could beat this guy. His sister was pretty good as well. And when he did that, the old man looked across and said, you shouldn't have done that, sonny. He reached out and went, boom, 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 boom. And in checkers, that's called a Jacob's Ladder. And when he got to the back of the board, he said, crown me. And with the king in the back, reaches the board, now having the lead. The game was over in just a few more minutes. The old man leveraged himself up the chair and said, nice game, Sonny. <laughs> Rubbed a little salt in the wound. He made his way towards the steps, began to go down the steps. And Tommy called and said, sir, can I ask you a question? The old man said, yes, son. He said, how'd you do that? And here's what the old man said. He said, sometimes you have to give up a few pieces to get the crown. And I wonder, are we convincing those that are entrusted to us to be willing to give up a few pieces of what this world has to offer so that someday Jesus can give them the crown and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. My last story, I just read it this week on an email. It was about Jim Brown. If you're a little bit, if you're close to my age, Jake, with you would have remembered him, played for Syracuse, Many people think he was the greatest running back ever to play in the NFL. Not only was he a great running back, but he averaged 38 points a game as a high school basketball player. And he was a very, very good tennis player, as you could imagine an athlete like that would be. He lived in Las Vegas. And he liked to um, wager on his games. One day, his game didn't show up. And a man with a heavy accent walked up to him and said, Mr. Brown, he said, "Um, why don't you play my son? He goes, I'll make a bet with you. Even up, you against my son. His son was nine. Mr. Brown says, You got it. He says, What do you want to bet? He goes, My house against your house. The owner of the country club was going. Jim Brown, pride welding up a little bit, said, Absolutely, I'll play him. And they ended up making the bet $10,000. Jim Brown was defeated in straight sets by nine-year-old Andre Agassi. The last thing I'll say about God's will is we're never strong enough to do it by ourselves. Because Satan, like little Andre Agassi, may look easy to defeat, but he's like a roaring lion. And we need to hide ourselves and garb ourselves in the word of God and seek to do as well. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on leading others to God's agenda for their lives with Dr. Mark Rasmussen.